Okay. Um, yeah, a bit of a, a strange week. Um, yeah, Phil was going to be preaching, and and he was been he's been doing a a very long uh, series. Not uh, yeah, each time he's been asked to preach, he's been continuing on through Second uh, Corinthians. And last week he preached in the first half of Second Corinthians five, and then yeah, got COVID, and um, I, I asked him, is he is he up to the was he just continuing on the next passage? And he's like, oh, well, I was going to be. And I actually already had a sermon written on this passage, as it turns out. So, um, yeah, um, God was definitely in control of, of all of that. So um, I'll be continuing on his his series. Um, so I'll try and try and do it justice. Um, I won't preach as short as Phil, unfortunately, but Morris isn't here. So we'll see see how we go. But, um, but no, I just, just wanted to start by telling you about, about my... Uh, my day yesterday, um, start of the day by dri- dri- driving to Brentwood uh, to work on a fence uh, with Dad. We we rammed in some posts, uh, some fence posts. Then we went to Hardwick to construct some IKEA furniture. You know all all the fun and exciting things of IKEA. Uh, watched a bit of footy. I worked on this sermon. I ate three meals and then I went to bed. That that was about it. So. I'm sure you're really excited by the summary of my day, the exciting news. I couldn't wait to get here and tell you all about it. Now I need you to go and tell all your friends. Go out and spread this news around the world. There'll be books written about it. You know, we'll send people across the globe reaching millions. But not really, because nothing exciting really happened. As good as our fence is and as straight as it is, but... uh, I can't... Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Um... It's not really worth going out, you know, getting excited and telling everyone about it because the news just isn't that exciting. And I think maybe one of the reasons why we don't evangelize is because we've lost sight of just how good the good news is. That there there isn't that desperation and joy to to tell others about the good news. And when we think about evangelism, we think of it in terms of our obligation. We're to do it because God told you to do it, so you should just go and do it, rather than, this is amazingly good news, I can't wait to tell other people about this, other people need to hear this. So that, that's why I like this passage, is it's not, it's, it is an evangelistic focused passage, but I think more than anything, it just reveals the, the greatness of the gospel and, and the goodness and mercy of, of what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, so, yeah, so I think as we go through this passage, I want you to think about how good the good news is and some of the people that um, God has called you to share that good news with. Uh, but let, let's start start by praying. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are uh, good to us in the midst of all this chaos and last-minute changes and uncertainty. I thank you that you have called us here uh, together today to, to hear from your word uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in us, in our hearts, uh, shaping and changing us, uh, making us more like Jesus and, and giving us a, a greater desire to reach the lost with the good news. Uh, so please uh, bless our time in your word. Amen. Uh, all right, so as, as you probably figured out from the, uh, from the Bible reading, we're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, and if you want to follow along, uh, if you haven't got a Bible, there's ones just at the back in the middle. Um, if you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep that one. Uh, so let, let's dive in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting from verse 11. Uh, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may not be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are in our right mind, it is for you. So already he starts talking about evangelism. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So what does it mean to fear God, then? If that's our motivation for persuading others, is fearing God? Uh, I, I think it's pro probably worth pointing out first what it doesn't, doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're terrified of God in the sense that he's going to condemn us. We, we don't fear condemnation because Paul also says that those who are in Christ, uh, there is no condemnation. And even, even in this passage, Paul already says that our, our destination, our final hope and home is to be with the Lord. So we don't fear eternal judgment or hell as, as Christians. We know that our hope is in Christ and that it's a sure hope. So it's not fear of having access to God. You know, we can approach God boldly before the throne. We can go to God whenever we want in prayer. So it's more to do with our, our attitude rather than our position before God. We recognize that God is on the throne and that we are not. And that produces healthy, reverent fear. Because he begins this verse by saying, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And that's because what he's just said, which Phil touched on it last week, that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is on the throne, not us. And in light of that knowledge, in light of that healthy fear of God, knowing that, that we are accountable to him, we persuade others. We don't live in fear of condemnation, but with trembling and reverence of the holiness and the power of God, we live in light of those truths that, that Jesus rules on the throne. And that, that should change us, right? Knowing that we're not in charge. Um, and for some of us, that, that can be a, a struggle, things, something that we grapple with. But I think for the most part, when it comes to evangelism, that's a, a wonderful thing that we're not on the throne and that God is. I think... Um, each time we reach for control, uh, things normally go wrong. So this spurs us on to obedience, right? Knowing the fear of the Lord. And yet it's not just for God, it is for others as well. Look, look down in verse 13. It says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we're in our right mind, it is for you. So everything we do, it's either, either for, for God and his glory, but it's also for other people. You know, if, if we appear like we're crazy, well, that's okay. We're doing this for God, but also when we're in our right mind, it is for you or for, for others. So when we, we preach this crazy message about a guy being crucified 2,000 years ago, it, we can, we're, we're so used to it, but for, from the, the non-Christian perspective, especially 2,000 years later, although probably even at the time, it would have seemed like such a, uh, an insane, unbelievable message that a guy being crucified on a Roman cross could be the, the center of human history and the thing that reconciles humans with their creator. So when we preach that message and people think that you're absolutely crazy, like, that's okay. It's okay if people respond that way because 
we're preaching for God. You know, yes, we're reaching out to other people, but ultimately it's for God. And so it doesn't really matter if people think less of you, think that you're crazy. That's okay. But we're also called to preach it clearly, articulate the gospel in a way that people can understand, make it accessible for people in our modern culture. It says, for if we're in our right mind, it is for you. Okay, so continue, continuing on in this passage, uh, we see the second motivation for sharing the gospel. In verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, or some passages say compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though... Uh, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So it says the love of Christ compels us or controls us, motivates us. It's the love of Christ that pushes us into action. And that love of Christ is displayed in the fact that he died for us. Now, it said before that we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But for those of us who believe the gospel, the result won't be condemnation because Christ died for us. For your sake and for your benefit, he died in your place. And time and time again, we see that the motivation was love. There's so many verses that connect God's love with his action of dying in our place. In Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First uh, John 4, 10 says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. You, know, you, you can't disconnect these two things, God's love for us and Christ's death for us. You know, plenty, plenty of preachers and Christians can talk about the love of God, but if you ignore or overlook the cross of Christ, then you've missed the, the primary way in which God has demonstrated his love for us. So that's such good news. You know, how could we not love God in return and be his missionaries? How could we not share it with others, the, the great love of God? So we've seen two parts, right? You know, it's, it's the knowing the fear of the Lord. That compels us to share, but then also knowing the love of Christ, that also compels us to share. But that, that's not contradictory in any way. You know, you're not having to pick one here. We can fear God and know that he deeply loves us, and both of those things compel us to share with others. So this this is like many things uh, within Christendom. It's, it's easy to swing to one extreme or the other, and when uh, you spend enough time in, in churches, you can see... Both, both extremes, uh, and probably most of the time we can see both extremes in ourselves as well. Say, so if we if we know know the fear of the Lord, but we neglect the love of God, you know, how does that affect us when it comes to sharing the gospel? When you you know the fear of the Lord, but you overlook His love, it's easy to share the gospel simply out of obligation. Well, I fear God; He's told me to do it, so I, I, I guess I better do it then. And I think, well, maybe more often 
it can be something that becomes impersonal. I think that's probably something I'm pretty guilty of is that you simply go through the checklist. These are the things that we believe or these are the things that you need to believe. Check, done, moving on. And we we share the gospel in a very generalized way. General truths, Christ died for sinners, Christ rose again. And it's impersonal. It's not Christ died for you. He was raised so that he can give you eternal life. You, know, you need to repent and believe this message. Whereas I think I'm probably guilty of, of stating facts and then leaving and moving on and not pleading with them to repent and believe the gospel. People need to know that Christ died for them. They need to know that he loves them. That needs to come through in our preaching and in our evangelism. And of course, then, then there's the other extreme, right? You know, we, we know the love of God, but we forget the fear of the Lord. That our evangelism is solely for the benefit of others, not for the glory of God. And that, that can motivate us for a little while, but there's, there's only so long that can last when you then get rejection after rejection after rejection and you're just doing it just for people and not for the glory of God. When no one responds correctly, it's easy to give up after a while. So we need simply, more than simply a love for others. We also need a fear and a love of God as well, knowing that he's on the throne and he's the one that's called us to this task. So even when things aren't going right, even when evangelism isn't um, seeing the fruit that we expected it to, when you're praying for someone over and over again for years and years, and those opportunities come up, but they don't respond how you want them to. Knowing that God has called us to do this and that he's on the throne, that can give us the motivation, the desire to keep going even when things aren't going well. We can do this. We can continue on, press on, knowing that our lives are not our own. This is, this is really what Paul is getting at. Uh, by continually reminding us of the fear of the Lord and that the judgment seat of Christ and that he's on the throne, it says that our lives are no longer our own. You know, it's odd that people see that as um, restrictive, that, that God now controls us. He owns us. He controls our lives and our lives aren't for, to be for ourselves, but they're for him. People see that as, as so restrictive and yet it's the most freeing thing ever because we're, we're all controlled by something. We're all a slave to something. It'll either be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. And, and how, how could we not give him everything when we were headed towards eternal destruction and then God stepped in, died for us, saved us, gave us eternal life, even when we didn't deserve it. We're not to respond by thinking about him an hour or two each Sunday or at a Bible study. It's everything is for him. Our lives are no longer our own. That, that, that doesn't mean that there won't be boring daily tasks. We still have to go to work and eat and sleep, all of that. But it's all for him. Again, the motivation for this is because the good news is so great. How could we not live for him? I said at the start that I, that I hope by the end of this passage, you'll grow more and more in knowledge of just how great God is. Well, I think that this is one of those uh, passages that kind of just keeps 
stepping up and up and up. It keeps getting higher and higher. Uh, so let's look at verse 17, just uh, yet another thing that God has done for us in Christ. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or new creature, some translations say. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I think you could do, you could do a whole sermon series on this passage, and I think you could do a whole sermon just on, on that verse. You know, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You have been made completely new. It doesn't say you have a whole new mindset or a whole new outlook on life. You know, you maybe maybe you'll start to develop some better habits. You know, wouldn't really call that good news if it can you know shift your thinking a little bit and you might get a few better habits. It says no, you are a new creation, a new creature in Christ. See, salvation doesn't change your direction in life, and it's not an addition onto your life. It gives you new life. It is new life to be in Christ. The old has passed away. You're no longer that person anymore. That's, that's such good freeing news, especially if you've dealt with you know, shame and sin and heartache in the past. You're not that same person anymore. Behold, the, the, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the gospel is so much better than a life improvement tool. Uh, that that's the the only reason to ever watch infomercials is to just see just how lame they are in their claims, but they are they are hilarious. But just they they always treat everything like your life is incomplete. You just need this one little thing, and then everything will be fixed. But we we can treat the gospel the same. We just have this one little thing of of sin, and then you fit the gospel into your life, and then you know it's fixed. It's all all better. It's a, it's the the best life improvement tool imaginable. But we don't need a life improvement tool. We don't need something to fix uh, the little things that we've got wrong. We, we are broken. In and of ourselves, we have no life without the gospel. We need new life, a complete transformation to start all over again. And we don't have the ability to change ourselves or to fix ourselves. We need complete transformation, and that is what the gospel gives. It is the only message that can transform a human heart. That's why we should be excited about proclaiming the gospel is because it is the only message in human history that comes with it, the Spirit of God, able to transform human hearts. And for some reason, God, for His own glory and for whatever other reason, has chosen us to be His messengers with the gospel. Uh, so continuing on in verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors for Christ has has a good ring to it. I know. I think it was uh, Ray Comfort had little uh, business cards made up, and it said Ray Comfort, you know, Ambassador for Christ, Department of Eternal Affairs, which I thought was, which I thought was brilliant. So I think we need to get them made up. But 
but yeah, God, God has chosen us to be his messengers, his ambassadors on earth. You know, the gospel is an act of reconciliation between God and man, and yet he has called us to go and offer people that reconciliation. That is our primary need, reconciliation with God. We were created to be in relationship with God, but our sin has separated us from him. And we were born in that natural, sinful state. But, but here in this verse it says, God doesn't count our trespasses against us. How good is that? That our, our sins won't be held against us. And if God is capable of removing our sin, and that's the thing that has broken the relationship, well then if he removes our sin, then we can be reconciled to him. That's how we can restore the broken relationship. But if God ever feels distant from you, if you're worried, have I been reconciled? Can the re relationship really be restored when I've sinned again and again? Then you just need to look to Jesus on the cross where he has removed your sin. That's how you can know that the relationship has been restored, that you can have reconciliation with him. That nothing can separate you from his love. You know, in the feelings of, well, but I'm not worthy to come to God. Or this time I've stuffed up too badly. I mean, th those things might be true. We're, we're not worthy to come to God, that, that we do stuff up badly. But to take those feelings and turn it into, well, this time I can't come before God or I've severed the relationship somehow. Those things make no sense in the light of the cross of Christ because that is where our hope lies. That is where the relationship is restored, is in Christ dealing with our sins on the cross. And now we go and share that good news, uh, that ministry of reconciliation as his ambassadors. It says that we are ambassadors for Christ and God makes his appeal to people through us. That's how God comes down and shows himself. That's how he pleads with people. I always love that when people say, well, if God is real, why doesn't he come down here and show himself? I mean, the, the truth is, he, he already did 2,000 years ago. He did come and show himself. But, but even besides that, he is still working here on earth through his people, through the church. He is calling out to people to reach them. God is speaking to people through the ambassadors for Christ who reach out with the ministry of reconciliation. We are his representatives on earth. It says, we implore people as if God were making his appeal through us. And so once again, we need to find a balance between two truths here. On the one hand, we've just seen that God, through his spirit, transforms people. You know, he's 100% responsible for saving people. You don't have the ability to transform human heart. That, this is why, what's the first thing you do? If someone is on your heart and you want to see them saved... Even if you've had the opportunity to have conversations, what's our, our first thing that we do? We, we, we pray for them, right? But because we acknowledge, I don't have the ability to change their mind or their heart. God does, and that's why we pray for them. We don't have the ability to give dead people life. And, and, and that's good news because it takes the pressure off of us. It, it 
evangelism would be so much scarier if it were completely up to me. It means that we don't need to sugarcoat the message. Uh, we don't need to make it more palatable and we don't need to fear their reaction. We simply proclaim the gospel and trust that he is in charge and he is able to transform people. But at the same time, this passage also tells us to persuade people, to plead with people to be reconciled to God. So it's easy to go to the other extreme. Right? Do, you, do you put all the pressure on yourself to convince someone else to be saved? You know, you evangelize or, or maybe don't evangelize as if God has left you all on your own, that it's, it's, now it's completely up to you. Because when we think like that, it's easy to get caught up in arguments, you know, desperately trying to convince them. If, if I just say the right thing, if I just have just the right answer, then they'll be saved. And I, I know I've thought like that, but most of the time I, I've thought of the things that I should say the next day as well. Oh, I should have said, oh, if only I had had this one answer, then they would have responded completely differently. So whichever extreme you go to, I know I'm capable of going to both. We remind ourselves of the two truths, that God is the one who saves, and yet God also calls us to plead with and persuade others of the truth of the gospel. There needs to be that sense of urgency. And that should come through in our preaching, that love for others, the desire that they should know God and be saved. The, the genuine care and concern for their soul should come across. Even if they don't understand it, they don't know why we're so urgent about this, they should at least walk away knowing that we seem a little bit crazy and weird and passionate about them coming to know God. So no, there's, there's a lot, lot here. So let, let's move on to the final verse. Uh, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So once again, I said at the start of this sermon that we often lose sight of the goodness of the gospel. And if we want to become passionate evangelists, we need to have a bigger understanding of his goodness. Once again, this is the final verse of the passage. It keeps building up and up and up that he died for us, that he um, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that we're new creations in Christ. And then here, this one, um, for our sake, he did this. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin for us, or a sin offering. God made his perfect, spotless, sinless son become a sin offering for us. The sins that you've committed all your life, the sins that you've committed this past week, and the sins that you will commit next week. God dealt with and punished as Jesus died on the cross. You know, pl plenty of churches and preachers can focus on the fact that God is love and that God can forgive sins. But if they overlook the cross of Christ, then they've taken away the very reason why God can forgive you. God forgives sins, but he can't ignore them. He has to deal with our sins because he's just. And if he simply ignored them, he would be immoral. 
And yet the cross of Christ is the perfect way in which God is merciful to us and yet remains just. So God has taken our sins and placed them on Christ. But I think we, we, we often stop there, that that's the extent of the gospel. And yet the, the very next part of the verse says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know, Martin Luther called this the great exchange in which Jesus takes our sin on the cross and yet we get his righteousness. God looks at us when we have faith in him and he sees the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sins. He sees the righteousness of Jesus and pours out his favor on us instead of the wrath that we deserve. We too often think of the gospel or our relationship with God as if he forgives our sins by ignoring them or, or, or making us a blank slate. Do you often think that you know we, we ask for forgiveness? Okay, wipe the slate clean. Now we just go back to being neutral until we stuff up the next time and sin again and then we ask for God for forgiveness again and we go back to being a blank slate again. But God doesn't see us like that. He sees us like Jesus. The righteous life that Jesus lived is given to us. And that means that we're secure in the gospel. It means that no sin can separate us from the love of Christ. That's why we call it good news. That's why we should respond by sharing that good news with others. So, so if you're like most, most Christians and like myself as well, if you struggle to, to share the gospel with others, if you're lacking zeal to reach people, uh, then just think about these things throughout the week. Keep thinking about all the things that God has done for you in Christ. And it will give you, uh, as I spoke about earlier before we sung Rejoice, uh, just that joy that's constant, whether things are up or down, whether you have lots of opportunities or just few opportunities, uh, it'll give you joy and it'll give you a desire. It'll motivate you to share the gospel more. Uh, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have blessed us in so many ways uh, through your Son. I thank you that we have hope and we have life and we have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation and righteousness in you. Uh, so Lord, please help us, motivate us, challenge us to go and take this good news uh, to the world, motivated uh, by a healthy fear of you, but also a, a love for you. Uh, Lord, we once again uh, thank you and ask that you would open our eyes to better understand the greatness of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.